It's earnings season. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of February 13th, 2022. And being the week of Valentine's Day, we'll cover earnings reports today, the little love notes that listed corporates write to the market every quarter. To do so, I'm joined by Julia Herman, and we'll talk through the corporate financial results which have been coming out recently. Those results are for last quarter, Q4 of 2022, and what they can tell us about the economy and the markets. Before we dive into the latest earnings story, I want to do two things. First, Julia, what are earnings really? Earnings are the profit that a company produces in a certain period. In this case, the last quarter of last year. There are lots of factors considered in earnings. Top line sales or revenue growth, the cost it takes to produce those earnings, including the cost of your space for production, labor cost of production, space for sales, interest payments on any debt, all kinds of things. That's right. And while I'm oversimplifying just a bit by saying this, top line growth minus all the costs that Julia mentioned, that generates earnings. Now, the second piece of context I thought might be helpful before we jump into the story is to address the earnings backdrop of recent quarters. Current earnings are often compared to recent results, and so it's useful to know where we're coming from. So Julia, again, can you share where we stood coming into this earnings season? Well, you know, I love a good context moment, and I feel like all of those take us back to the dark days of the pandemic. So here goes again. In the pandemic, U.S. companies actually experienced a surge in earnings. And this can seem counterintuitive because the economy ground to a halt, unemployment was so high, but particularly amongst large companies benefiting from stay-at-home themes, demand and pricing power both skyrocketed. But for over a year now, earnings growth has been turning over. And throughout the last year, the guidance executives have given about the next quarter's earnings has gotten steadily worse. And as a slight disclaimer, we're not 100% of the way through earnings season yet. As of February 9th, 332 out of 500 companies in the S&P 500 had reported earnings. So we're giving a bit of a live look at what's been coming in so far. But given what we know so far, overall, earnings are slightly lower than last quarter, and nearly 40% of companies are reporting outright negative earnings growth. That means those companies are still generating positive earnings, but less positive earnings than was true in the previous quarter. So activity is slowing. Julia, give me your top takeaways from the earnings that you're seeing, and then maybe we can dive deeper in each of your takeaways. Sure. Let's highlight three takeaways from the results we have so far. And we're looking at both the S&P 500 and the larger, broader U.S.-listed universe here in finding these trends. Number one takeaway, when it comes to sectors, there are a few that look more resilient than last quarter. Takeaway two, earnings growth is holding up better than sales growth generally. And takeaway three, guidance so far provided by company executives is worsening to a greater degree than the past trend of the past year. 
All right, those are good ones. So we're definitely gonna have to take them one by one. Your first takeaway is that earnings outcomes have been differing by sector. And I'd love to hear which sectors have been more resilient and why. If you've been saying that earnings are decelerating, then I'd imagine that the more traditionally defensive sectors like healthcare and utilities might be more resilient. Absolutely correct there. But consumer discretionary and industrials are also both faring quite well. Within discretionary, for example, consumer services are leading the charge. Oh, really? That's interesting. And that might reflect the fact that services inflation beyond just rent has been very slow to budge. So, okay, go on. I, I think we should point out one area that's not showing resilience, materials. 58% of materials companies so far, so as of February 9th, are reporting negative earnings growth. And on the energy side, things are still very strong, but decelerating versus last quarter off of a strong base. Again, tying that back to the macroeconomic environment, we've seen a notable cool down in commodities inflation. So it seems like that macro development is bleeding through to the relative's earnings growth off of a very strong base. With the sector story under our belts, let's go back to the second key trend you mentioned. The first portion of this insight is that fourth quarter sales growth looked worse than was the case in the third quarter across all sectors except utilities. Yes, top line growth is slowing. Okay, so sales, aka revenue, aka top line growth is slowing. And yet earnings, which include the bottom line too, aren't suffering quite as broadly as that top line revenue is. What does that mean? You said it, Lauren, it's about the bottom line. What it tells us is that companies have been doing a stellar job of managing costs, and this helps to preserve earnings health. And it's a trend that we've seen for a few quarters now. I'd love to dive into so many angles of this, but let me start by saying this feels like really good news. Companies seem to be making rational choices in response to a slowing environment. I agree. And I think I'd add a new angle on there as well. What do we think about when we think about cost cutting? Well, most companies' biggest cost is labor. So if we're cutting that cost, we're either decreasing wages, which we know isn't true on aggregate, or we're laying people off. Yeah. And if our listeners are seeing the news or if you're on LinkedIn seeing all the posts about this, you know that there's been a meaningful amount of layoffs in tech specifically. So obviously in that sector, companies are managing the bottom line or in part managing the bottom line by cutting labor costs. We've got to square the circle on the labor story here because there are layoffs in tech, but not notably elsewhere. Almost the opposite, actually. The U.S. economy created a whopping, mind-blowing 517,000 jobs in January. Which begs the question, labor costs have skyrocketed across sectors since the pandemic. And a great way to measure this is the Employment Cost Index, or ECI, which basically measures how much it costs companies to get and retain labor. And for private sector workers, that inflation measure for companies, that ECI, is the highest since the series began in 2001. But most sectors are holding on to that expensive talent. So cost cutting must be coming from other parts of the balance sheet. Julia, can we take a quick sidestep on those tech layoffs before we move into your third key point on earnings? Why is that sector feeling so much of the pain? I think it's a lot because these companies went through hiring sprees during the pandemic, and that was because of all the demand for stay-at-home goods and services. It's not the case for every company, but for the really big players, recent layoffs comprise just a percentage of that headcount increase since the last quarter of 2019. So headcount at these firms is still generally larger than before the pandemic. Now, that's not to say that the layoffs we're seeing don't matter. They absolutely do. 
Instead, the point we're making here is that these layoffs reflect more sector-specific and cyclical drivers that don't seem, at least to us, to be a reflection of the widespread headcount reduction and major labor problems ahead. Okay, well, we have a well-managed bottom line for companies, and right now, that doesn't mean mass layoffs beyond tech. Let's go to takeaway number three, though, which is that looking ahead, company guidance has been gloomy. So much gloom. As of February 3rd, 56% of S&P 500 companies had revised EPS guidance downward. Accordingly, the EPS guidance momentum score that Bloomberg provides is now negative 0.29, the lowest since the global financial crisis. Let me reflect on guidance as a concept for a minute here. As economists, we have a lot of sentiment factors in the economy. Household surveys, CEO surveys, purchasing managers' indices for manufacturing and for services. Guidance in this case is also sort of a sentiment indicator, but it's unique in that company management gets benchmarked against their own guidance. And so there's some incentive to be a tad on the conservative or maybe even negative side with guidance, generally speaking. Under promise, over deliver, how to succeed in the corporate world of 101. But but in all seriousness, I do agree. And perhaps that inclination to be conservative with guidance becomes only stronger as the economic backdrop deteriorates. Right. And so we're seeing this guidance and taking it seriously, but it might be a negatively biased indicator of actual future expectations. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And today we've sorted through and thrown a lot of different dynamics in the data at you, but the conclusions from this data can be very simple. Economic growth is gradually slowing, and even though companies are showing a lot of resilience, the environment is slowing and becoming about how to manage headwinds. And if we think about segments of the market that seem best equipped to manage macroeconomic headwinds, it points us back to quality across both equity and fixed income. I want to be sure to mention here that, yes, there's been a meaningful rally in the more cyclical sectors lately, favoring growth equities, for example. But earnings season results so far still support the structural resilience case behind value equities. And finally, because sectors may be unevenly impacted and it's so difficult to time the market, we encourage most investors to stay invested and stay diversified, even when a relief rally might prompt investors to pile headlong into risk. Well, with that, Julia, thank you so much for joining again today and for providing some valuable insight. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, January inflation numbers are out this week, and we've already gotten the January jobs figures, which blew expectations out of the water. Will inflation do the same? That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until next time, I'm Lauren Goodwin. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. 
The S&P 500 tracks the performance of 500 large cap companies listed in the United States. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.